What's up, Playa? How you doing, dude? Dude, this is a special day. Do you know why? Why? It's our 50th episode, bro. Holy shit, our 50th episode? Episode 50 of Lifts and Riffs. Some poor motherfucker out there has listened to us for 50 hours. That's insane, man. Imagine that. And it's also, isn't it like, is today the first day of fall or the second day of fall? Second day of fall. Yesterday was. Oh, fuck. It is the first day that it feels like fall where I am. So we're going to call it the first day of fall, too. It's truly a blessed episode, brother. We are lucky to be here. It is. And on this blessed day, we had to pull some strings. But who did we end up getting for today's special 50th episode, bro? Today, for the special 50th episode, we are continuing our recent attempt to get outside of only talking to death metal musicians or musicians at all. And we are bringing into the conversation the founder and chief executive officer of Proponent Games, a fellow by the name of Steve Tom Sawyer. He's big into death metal, but this motherfucker designs video games. So it's going to be an illuminating chat. Holy shit, let's get him in here. Get him in here. I'm excited. I had no idea, man. You're pulling a fast one on me. I was totally, completely unprepared. I know. We, we, hopefully, we get the guy that we had next week uh, lined up. Yeah, we Bing. will. I didn't realize you guys had video. Whatever. There oh, he is. Hey. What's up, What's man? going on, man? How's it going, guys? So, I'm Schuler. Um, yeah. yeah. And I'm joined here today by my buddy, Zach, from Death Comes Lifting. What's up, Steve? Nice to nice Thanks for doing the super last second, man. I wish I was no more problem. prepared to talk to you. No, no, no. It's fine. We'll we'll make it work, man. We'll find all kinds of fun stuff to talk about. Yeah, we had, so we we for the people out there in podcast land, we had Steve lined up for next week. We had an opening come up this week. Fortunately, he was cool enough to jump on at super last notice, last minute notice. So we don't have to skip another week of lifts and riffs. We don't have to take another week off. The fucking content continues to flow, and we got a cool motherfucker in here to talk to today. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. And no, let's, yeah, we'll keep the train rolling. Don't skip a week. Can't do that. No, no, can't do that. We took one week, we've taken one week off in like a year, haven't we? Has it been a whole year or has it just been in 2020? I feel like it's 2021, been. 2021, the current like, year. I feel like it's been pretty close to the full year, man. So it's pretty wild. Yeah. So we got to keep, we, we yeah, got to keep, no, don't break the street. <laughs> so one of the things we were talking about before we got you on is um, how we've, we've tried to, recently sort of branch out instead of just talking to musicians from bands that we like we want to sort of get into other aspects of like sort of collector culture wellness culture different things that people are into that are sort of peripheral to some of the shit that we talk about here which is usually i mean i'm not gonna lie it's cradle of filth that's what we always end up coming back to. <laughs> that's weird. um but we were, uh, we were talking before we got you on, and we are super stoked to have you and talk not only about Slam, because obviously we're going to talk about fucking ignorant riffs, but yes. both of us, Zach and I, are both sort of standing outside looking in with the world of video game development, with the world of running a business like that, and that to me is super fucking interesting. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had Kareem Peter from Night Shift Merch on here. Um, yeah, super cool. Yeah. Super cool, dude. Not a musician, but like super familiar with the business and some of the most interesting shit that we ended up or some of those interesting shit that I've learned throughout the course of this podcast 
came up in that conversation. So like, I'm mm. definitely looking forward to hearing some cool shit today, man. Thank you very much for coming on. No, no problem. Thank you so much for the uh, effusive intro. I, I really appreciate it. I hope I can live up to all the, the high praise. Um, I am positive that you've got it in you. Oh, yeah. Wow. Well. Uh, and I also share your uh, respect uh, and esteem for Kareem. He's a really super cool guy. Um, and I had the fortune of working with him on something like the start of last year. Awesome. Uh, yeah, he helped a friend of mine uh, do like an album release and merch layout and all kinds of stuff. And he was super helpful and, and was basically like the he's the guy you want if you don't know shit about making merch or getting your stuff like done or any of the talk to kareem he's like the chillest dude ever will guide you every step of the way and is a consummate professional as i'm sure you you know from just talking to him and so what you've done now is just sort of set yourself up to be like the kareem of proponent games so, oh, yeah okay yeah so like cool tell us give us a little bit like uh, we're gonna get to some riffs later because i got to talk to you about like a vulnerable putridity and some other shit like that but first um i would love to know more about sort of your history with the video game industry like you can start with like where you got into it personally sort of how it became a business where you've been where you are now i'm super curious about this sure uh and it's cool because there's a lot of like organic crossover into um, I think a lot of the worlds that we both like live in. Um, and so the story of how I got to like this exact moment in time is, is really cool and really funny. But uh, insofar as video games specifically are concerned, I started as a, a game journalist um, and as someone who was reviewing games. Um, and that just came from a place of like, when I was a kid, I was always that kid who would be talking to my friends and be like, yeah, that game was cool, but why couldn't the developers like add this thing where blah, blah. And I just always was looking at games in a very like, you know, critical way. Uh, and, you know, I annoyed the shit out of my friends, you know, with it. But I figured out as I got older, um, you know, and I was always I always wanted to be a writer. Um, and then I, I, I tried like doing music journalism when I was first starting out writing. That was like in the early 2000s. And it just wasn't, I don't know, it just wasn't motivating me. Um, and then I realized, like, dude, I play, like, eight hours of, like, at the time, I was like, I play, like, fucking eight hours of games a day. Like, what if I wrote about video games? And that was just, like, a natural fit. And it, it, it was just off to the races. Um, and so over the course of, like, seven years of writing, I got to this point where I started getting way more interested in the business of video games than the games themselves, it became really fascinating to me of like, well, how do these things get made? How does this like come into existence? How do they get distributed? How do they get marketed? How do you come to the conclusion of, uh, you know, and I'll, I'll tell you specifically not to like sidetrack or ADHD, like way too hard. First, let me interrupt real quick. That is the fucking name of the game here. Go, okay, where, you cool. want, yeah, word. Go where you want. The, the thing that was fascinating to me was finding out how much money was spent on Grand Theft Auto V. Uh, and it was somewhere in the neighborhood of half a billion dollars to make Thank that you. game. To make God. the game. Damn. $500 million. We talk about just making the game. Just making. Promotion or anything. Just making the game. So the way that they figure it out is when you look at a number like that, supposedly in AAA, 
about 50% of that, 45 to 50% of that is marketing. But even so, then the core development budget would still have been $250 million. And when I started thinking about the scale of economics involved in that, I was just like, what the, f- wait a minute, wait a second. Like, how does, how does that happen? Yeah. How do like, where do they get that money? Cause I'm sure rockstar doesn't have cash on hand, like half a billion dollars. And especially to sit and just make a game for seven, eight years, which is like how long, you know, it takes to make the, the grand theft auto entries. And with each one, like they're working on six, supposedly, allegedly is what I will say. Uh, but I'm sure that six is going to cost close to like a billion dollars, right? That to me, yeah, that to me was the most fast. And I want, I just had to know. I was like, I want to learn everything I can about how that comes into being. Because to me, th- that just seemed so impossible, that scale of economics. And so I really started trying to learn more about uh, the business side of it. And that's how I started getting kind of like my first gigs and like consultancy and marketing just because I wanted to try my hand at it. And at first I was really terrible at all that stuff. I was just like, um, but I figured out that like the big thing that was starting to become a natural fit and natural translation was like, I know gamers, I know video games. I know how, you know, gamers want to interact with games. And so that like started to take shape. Uh, and I ended up working for Devolver Digital uh, they put out stuff like Shadow Warrior, Enter the Gungeon, Strafe, um, some really cool things like that. And they have a legacy that's tied to uh, Austin, Texas and Dallas, Texas, and like the video game development scene that came out of there in the like mid 90s. So a lot of the guys that started Devolver were veterans from places like id software and 3d realms and those names those are names i'm familiar yeah 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 yeah. so my boss was this guy uh mike wilson who was the marketing director uh for quake right and so he is you know really good friends with like george broussard who was the guy in charge of 3d realms and like duke nukem 3d yeah, dude, uh, yeah. I fucked so hard with Duke Nukem 3D. One of my favorite games of all oh time, bro. Oh, my brother. God. Of all We're time. going back with it right now. Yeah, so for me, that was a dream come true to work with these guys. You know, it's like, oh, my yeah. God, I'm getting to work. Like, nobody who's not a nerd uh, would know who the fuck I'm talking. I'd be like, okay, I don't know who that is. But to me, I'm like, oh my God, that's like, that's me meeting my Tom Cruise, right? I'm like, that's yeah. a guy who made Duke Nukem 3D, bro. Like, I don't, I don't know if you realize you're standing in the presence of greatness, right? <laughs> um, and that's like how I reacted. So uh, throughout all of that, though, I love death metal. I just love death metal. Um, and I go to, yeah, man, I go to hella shows, but I love a specific kind of death metal that I think a lot of people think is really stupid, which is tech death. <laughs> I like really, really love tech death. It's uh, so unfair. Why am I not surprised that a video game dude loves tech death? <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's like it goes together. It's just you, man. It's that's that makes sense. I think, I think it's a malign subgenre, man, because I think that a lot of people when they when they hear tech death, whether you're sort of entry level 
I feel like there's the what do they call that thing where like it's the like the ideology horseshoe where like uh, oh yeah the bell curve yeah well I don't know if it's the bell curve or not but it's like there's there's extreme on, on so if you have like on the right and then on the left of the political spectrum the two extremes are sort of like they want different things but they go about getting them in equally extreme mm. ways or whatever and then the mm. people in the middle not necessarily are like better or anything but they are more open to sort of adapting right and I, yeah. I feel like it's that way with tech death a little bit because you have new people who hear it and they're like this is fucking dense and like impenetrable i don't know what's going on i'm confused is there a person doing this <laughs> yeah. um or, and, and yeah. why would they do this and right then, yeah that's that's the other question that you listen you're like but why why would you do this they're like that's the new people right and then like if you go to the other side of the horseshoe to the fucking old school death metal head guys um they're like it's just showing off there's too much shit going on here uh, I, I don't like it i don't like it and my like, favorite the, complaint to read is they're like yeah you can write like a million noodles but you can't write one good riff like but if you if you pay attention it's actually a whole bunch of good riffs. It's a lot of good riffs, yeah. And like, I, I, I am a big tech death fan. I, it, I never had a stage where I didn't. I never had a, a phase where I hated tech death or where I was mm. turned off by it. But I did have phases when I was younger where there was other stuff that I could get into a little bit better. But as yeah, I've gotten that's older, fair. as I've gotten older, and as I have sort of learn to be as i have done like my own personal growth in my spare time and learn to be more present in the moment tech mm. death has become immensely attractive to me um and the record that did that was was spawn of possessions in curso that was in 2012 for my money that is the best that's the king tech death record of all time yeah that's the apex predator of tech death records 100 percent, dude so now that I've gone on my little spiel about fucking horseshoes and bullshit or whatever. Like, no, that perfectly ties into what I was going to say. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so one of my favorite bands in the genre is a Legion. Uh, and they are, you know, buddies, buddies of the show. I'm going to understand. Yes, um, we had Greg on here before. Greg's a fucking awesome dude. Greg's hey, Greg, a cool guy. Uh, I, by proxy of Riley, exposed that band to a lot of horrible YouTube content. I'm very proud. Have to say and from what i'm to understand greg's reactions to like everything riley shows him is like why why would you do this and keep talking to this person who shows you these <laughs> um so i went to an allegiance show and riley was working the merch booth and for people who you know by chance are not familiar with the structure of that band riley is the vocalist of allegiant uh and riley and i struck up a conversation i'm a chatty chatty dude uh and turns out riley you know is a big gamer um and not only that but when you know i was like oh i happen to work for a game company when i say that to most people um their knowledge of that is like layman level right or less um if i then go further and, and say like which company i work for you know, again, usually it's just tumbleweeds, right? Yeah. You can go on and, and name specific games. So like, I have no idea. Wait, okay, cool. <laughs> and I told Riley, I, go, I work for Devolver. And he's like, no fucking way. Are you serious? <laughs> and so right away, I was like, oh, oh shit, man. This is, yeah, I was like, this is my dude. And I told him which games I had helped with. And 
like every single one he he knew them all i mean to the point where you know he was like i saw like that version of the one that you worked on and kid the collector's edition that you have oh that's so sick you helped with that and so we just kept in touch because it just seemed like dude you're a super chill guy like let's connect on facebook let's keep like talking uh, i gave him my number he got my number and so like a couple months later there was just this opportunity that kind of came up where he was like, yo, coronavirus has like destroyed everything and shut everything down. Like I can't tour, I can't do shit, but I have like this opportunity through somebody who wants to invest like in a business and like, could we do something with video games? And I was like, yeah, sure. Uh, and here we are. Like now we, we spun that up into you know, owning a game publishing company and we're helping indie developers put their games out. Uh, and the best way that I can explain it to people in the music world is like, we are to musicians what a record label is, right? But we're a little bit more fair. I feel like we have a, a, a little <laughs> bit more of a fair deal. Kudos to you. I mean, yeah, and I would, yeah, I would yeah. think having a, a music industry insider in the band would probably make him a little bit more of a fair that was, like, equity. That was a big part of, yeah, how he, he wanted to structure deals and stuff. Cause he's like, I don't know if you know this about the music industry. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so yeah, we, we definitely uh, are trying to be like different, like in that regard than other publishers. And we're still learning things. Like I think the next few deals that we sign are even going to be more like cozy and comfy towards developers. Cause we've learned lessons and just, you know, we're a year old business. We're still learning things and we still have, room to improve and get better and, and do more right by like indie devs. Uh, so that's where all of this like came from. And it's funny. Cause I tell people, I'm like, I, I wish I could say to somebody, you know, like, Oh, um, don't just totally geek out about your passions and be a total nerd and do nothing but listen to death metal and play video games all day. But that's literally like how I got into the situations that I'm in. So that would be terrible advice, I guess. However you get there is, is however you get there. That's I, right. I think that it is interesting to sort of look at the, so I, I can't speak for Zach and me and Zach are a, a significant, uh, we, we're different ages. So like I'm, I'm 38 years old and I haven't, oh, I you're, haven't, you're only one year older than me. Yeah. I I'm uh, all right. Well, good. I feel like I'm in, I'm in good company now yeah. with this young spry <laughs> gentleman right here. Yeah. Um, but like for me, so like, I, and I say that to say, I can't really speak to, to Zach's perception of video games. I know that we're, neither of us are both particularly a part of that culture, but like my, my youth with video games, the last system that I owned was a Nintendo 64. Um, I stopped playing never because, and I always have to say this with video games and like with tabletop games or like D&D or something like that. It's never because I think this shit is like nerdy. I don't do it because it's literally too much fucking work. Like mm. learning to learning to use the, like the PlayStation Two right. controller that broke me. I was like, "Fuck this, man!" I, I spent all this time trying to figure out how to use this fucking joystick on Goldeneye, and like now you want me to not have that? Like it's too much work. But like I say that again to sort of date myself and and get to what I'm about to ask you about. Like I was not under the impression that video game development was something that was so widespread that there were just like people sort of doing it in their bedrooms like 
like uh, musicians recording shit and then having people sort of like shepherd them into a market and find them an audience. Um, because I, I come from a time when like, you know, there were like three companies making fucking video games. There were three different like platforms that you played them on and that was it. Uh, so is it really that sort of grassroots and, and widespread at this point? Is this, is this like a, tell, tell us a little bit about the state of the industry, I guess. Yeah, I, I think uh, coronavirus definitely like also pushed that into just the the norm for huge studios as well so now you you have a lot of triple a games that are being made by remote teams just by virtue of the situation um but things like um you know like cloud storage for code bases and all that stuff really help with that sort of thing but for sure um there was this huge grassroots movement of like uh two dudes you know in their garage making a you know a fucking video game and, and and then somebody like me comes and finds them and goes hey i can i can help you do better but i feel like at the heart of it that's like how a lot of that stuff started um you know like you you look back at the story of like id software again um just because they're super relevant to the conversation you know it was literally just john carmack and john romero you know just hanging out in their in their garage um just coming up with ideas i think a lot of that too was them trying to make their D D campaign that they were playing at the time into like a some sort of a video game representation and that's like where the ideas for for doom and quake came from originally but yeah it was just two scrappy kids you know like hey maybe we can make a game i don't know let's figure it out and so I think like at the core of it, that spirit is still where the best ideas come from. It, it seems like it's marketable. I mean, it seems like, like, and again, I'm going to, I'm going to continue comparing this to music just because sort of that's, that's really my only yardstick to go by here. Mm. Um, it seems like there is a lot of sort of more discouraging, um, not necessarily discouraging, but like nobody I think gets into making like, like heavy music or whatever in their bedroom now because they think it's going to be their job one day, right? Right. Uh, while I do think that it, it seems like, do people make money off games? Is this is this like a thing that people like live off of? Uh, I'm going to try to give you an answer that's not, uh, yeah, that's not super long. Uh, brevity is the soul of wit, right? No, but well, this, no that's this... bullshit. Brevity is the soul of wit, but we don't want wit. We want information. Okay, yeah. So this is a complex answer uh, in some ways. I think it depends per platform. Um, if okay. you are a developer who has the money, the capability, uh, I mean, really the capability comes down to money with a lot of this stuff. But if you have the money uh, and you get approved, because with some of these examples we're going to go through, it's not just a, hey, I'm here. Here's some money. Let me through the door situation. Like there's uh, some curation involved, but like steam, for example, like if you want to put your game on a computer, you know, on a PC steam is the place to do it. <clears throat> steam has the lowest barrier of entry for developers to get their product out there. Um, I think it's just like a hundred bucks to, to pay like a fee to steam and by and large, they say yes to like mostly everything. <clears throat> There's literal uh, pornographic games on Steam. So you'd have to be pretty egregious to run afoul of uh, their screening process. 
But that also means that there's a lot of stuff on Steam, right? And so every single day, there's dozens, if not in some cases, hundreds of games that are coming out on Steam. And so your visibility on Steam now is pretty terrible if you're an indie developer. Even if you have, uh, like as we discovered, if you have like press and PR and all these resources, uh, Steam is a tough place to sell just by virtue of how crowded it is. But then if you go to someplace like the Nintendo Switch, for example, um, Nintendo screens all, all their games and their um, selection process is much more rigid. Uh, so it's not like super difficult to get on the Nintendo Switch, but it's more difficult than Steam. It's not just they're just going to let everybody in. There is a screening process to speak of um, and they have standards. And so that means there's a lot less stuff on there. And by virtue of that, if you get on there, it's easier to be seen because you're competing with less shit for visibility. Right. So I think in that case, you're, you know, you have to like, but you wouldn't, if you're an indie developer who hasn't put a game out, you wouldn't know these things. Like you, that's why right. you would want a publisher, you know, to help you and talk to you and go, look, this is where you want to go. If you want the best visibility, like you want to do switch first, then PC to maybe supplement. And then we're going to try to do these other things. Um, but that's where I think that publisher relationship comes in. Cause it's like, yeah, I think there's an expectation of like, yeah, I want to make money. I want to get a return on my investment. Everybody yeah. wants to make their money back uh, and games cost a lot of money to make. Um, a lot more than, than records for sure. Um, so yeah, I think every dev goes into it with the expectation of like, can I at least make my money back? But yeah, unless you know what you're doing, where you're going and how to be really visible and effective in those places, it can get really rough, really fast. Are, are physical discs a thing anymore for video games at all? Yes, for sure. Uh, especially for like the consoles. I don't think PC stuff, because I, I just can't remember the last time I had a PC with an optical drive to speak of. Um, I kind of like, so to put put you in my frame of reference where I'm at with video games, so I'm like 10 years younger than Shuler. Like, so I, I, this poor dude is sitting here talking to two fucking idiots his livelihood and his passion and we're just like does it have <laughs> buttons like fucking yeah sorry yeah. go ahead no 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 that's fine i but like i grew up fucking loving video games bro i just like stopped when my friends got like super serious and like they got like online like with the xbox 360 and the ps3 like it got intense and like you had, yeah. to pay, you had to pay for it and you like sat there for like six hours and like dedicated your life to it. Like I was yeah. much more, but I like Mortal Kombat and like Resident Evil. And that's like where I, that's where that's where I draw the line. So I kind of faded out, but I kind of tried to keep up with it. And I have mm-hmm. little sisters that are super into it now. They're they're younger. And I like literally just learned that you like have to download every game. It's not just like you put in the disc and then you play it. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Yes. And no. I mean, so. I feel like Nintendo has done a lot better about that stuff than the other two. Because yeah. Nintendo brought back cartridges. They're like these little tiny really? carts. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for your Switch. That's awesome. Uh, you're 
your yeah. listeners won't be able to see this, but I'll show you guys this one. Yes. We, we, I, love when, I love when we get exclusive. All right, hold on one second. The listeners, entertain us. Yeah, we're not worried about it. Okay. Yeah, we got to start doing this. So, this is cool as shit. The thing I like about the Switch is they come in these smaller cases. Okay. Uh, they're smaller than like the DVD style case that you know, your Xbox this. games or whatever. I think the game might actually still be in the Switch. Hold on. I don't even know what a Nintendo Switch is. Is it like a Game Boy? Upgraded Game Boy. It's a Game Boy in the 21st century, basically. Yeah, they made it's um the Switch is a hybrid console slash handheld. So that's what I was gonna say next. Yeah, you can. <laughs> it's got this. It's Game Boy Five, and you can use it as like a handheld. I um, think that's cool, though. I thought. And then actually, there's there's my game coming out soon. Bring I was in. gonna say, and that's that's we we were trying to get there. Um, no, we'll t- we'll talk that. about that in a second. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah, mean all to right, be all right. Uh, but here's what the cartridges look like. This is for a game called Slid Spire. You can see they're very small. Looks like an old SD card for a fucking digital camera. Yeah, my like camera can't even focus on the thing. It's so tiny. Yeah, that's interesting. And then yeah, the back of it's got these little you know bands yeah, yeah. for contacts and stuff. Um, some of the games that you get on here are complete, and when you slap in the cartridge, you don't need to download anything. But uh, sometimes you do need to download stuff, and a lot of that comes from. You know, games aren't perfect. Uh, we ship stuff like we, we've done this. We we ship games, and um, users will come to us and go, "Hey, um, this thing crashes on the third level when you do this, this, and this." And that's and that's, like, well, that's uh, where a patch comes in, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, see, Schuler Schuler gets it. Uh, yeah, and so we'll go. Well, that's not good. We want you to play the game all the way and not have it crash. We don't need that. So like Schuler just mentioned, we'll put out a patch. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, if we had put out like a cartridge or something, uh, there's a very, very, very high probability that we didn't catch that on the version that's on the cartridge. So then, yeah, you would pop it in and it'd go, hey, you need to download this thing if you want to play it. Uh, and I think we're a lot of that has like kind of there's that one side of it but then there's also you know the like call of duty side of it right where they're like oh yeah there's a patch that came out we fixed a couple of things but really it's 32 gigabytes of uh, gun textures and stuff that you would have to pay for um to unlock it but it's mandatory that you download this thing anyway because that's that's what we're doing so who cares uh, and I think that stuff runs afoul of like gamers' patience. You know, they're like, "Why am I downloading this giant patch? I just want to play this this game." And then they look at like what it is. They're like, "Oh, this is stuff I'm never going to interact with or interface with." That's, that's terrible. <laughs> See, that that's what kind of got me out of video games. Is like all the extra shit you have to pay for. Mm. It became more more of a thing. I'm simple minded. You know, that's, I think it's there's always going to be experiences for people who want to play stuff by themselves, who just want to like disconnect from, from all of that. Yeah. Uh, but those things aren't going to be heavily marketed is kind of the other thing. Sure. You know, the stuff that you're going to see 
like advertised to you is going to be the stuff that like your Activision or your EA or, or those big giant, uh, you know, doofuses are putting out. And that stuff is pretty, you know, I would just, I don't want to talk a lot of garbage about my like colleagues or contemporaries, just because I, I try to have like a general respect for anybody who, you know, creates video games in a, in a, in a way, but I, I do think, that, you know, at that like huge corporate level, a lot of that stuff just starts to look the same and, and yeah, feel yeah. the same. It's, it's a business. In, yeah. in your mind, what is like the most legit game that's come out recently from like a big name? Like what's a good one? What's a good mm. one that's not whack? Big name. Let me see. Let me look at like what's some of the last things I was playing. Like a big, big developer. Um... Mm. oh you know i guess they're not big big but it's a big franchise the newest aliens game was pretty good it's i heard called, that was sick actually yeah aliens fire team elite uh the studio that made it is actually not very big but it's a it's a surprisingly big franchise um so there was that and then oh you know what the other thing i played before that that was very good and i don't know if it's particularly recent uh was this game called control best way i could describe it is max Payne meets twin peaks god damn that sounds kind of fucking sweet yeah it's i'm it's, familiar with twin peaks yeah it's uh a very very strange very cool imagine you are you're this lady who uh ends up becoming the director of like a bureau of investigation for the government uh, and then about half of it is in another plane of existence. <laughs> and as you start to explore more and more of these like pocket dimensions, she gets like the power to like throw stuff with her mind, like pull up like the environment as like a shield. Like you can destroy the environment to like a, a pretty uh, intense level. And then, like, by the end of the game, she's, like, fucking flying around and shooting missiles at dudes. It's, it's really cool. But the story is also really bizarre. Uh, so oh, that's, that's, that'd be my pick. That's, that's cool. one of the things that, that interests me. And, and you, you bring up Alien, too. And I, I, I wanted to go to this part later, but it seems sort of germane to the conversation we're having right now. Um, a few years ago, a game called Alien Isolation came out. Mm-hmm. And... All of my, I'm a huge, my dog's name is Ellen Ripley. Like I am a massive fucking fan of that franchise. Um, so I'm also a big fan of Punishment, obviously. Um, okay, but yep. a lot of, a lot of my, um, like, I, I can't tell you how many people got in touch with me to say, have you played this game? And I obviously said no. And then they said, well, you need to at least watch the narratives or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I was like, the fucking What? Like I didn't realize I didn't realize that they played such a central role in games now, but that got me really interested in sort of the the idea of of narrative and of storytelling in games. And a few mm. years back, before that, now it might have been around the same time. I can't remember. In in twenty, I had a, a a book published in twenty fourteen, and in twenty thirteen we were putting together all of the promotional stuff for it. And there was another guy who was at the same university that I was at, and he developed games. Um, it was some sort of version of Minecraft. And then he had another one 
um, called the Domo Voy. And it was like this thing where you like talk to a, a Russian house spirit. It was really interesting, but like- that sounds cool. His thing was entirely about the narrative of games. And that got me really interested in like the genesis of a game and sort of where that comes from. And now we've talked a lot about sort of the, the industry side of things and like the financial side of things and the marketing side of things. But like, tell me a little bit about, and you can lead into whatever, whatever game you guys are launching next or maybe some games that you've done in the past. Like where do the ideas for this stuff come from? Like what comes first? Sort of like the story or like player concerns, um, all, figuring all of that shit together. For me as a storyteller is just, it seems like such a fucking daunting task because you have to, you can't write something that stays itself. You know what I mean? You write a story and somebody reads it and they do something with it, right? It, it offends them. It makes them happy. It takes them to another place, right? But with video games, it is quite literally, you're, you're continuously engaging your audience. So the story has to change and there have to be different ways that the story can go. Um, and that, that just sounds exhausting to me, but it's also very interesting. So I'm curious about sort of like where those, where the ideas get started. Like, what do you, what do you think about when you're designing a game? Um, the, the starting point of that answer would be, I think it would depend on what kind of a game you're trying to make. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that I, I like too, about this like renaissance of indie game development is uh, you had mentioned earlier that one of your biggest obstacles to overcome is the complexity of like modern controllers and modern controls. Um, and that's a thing that's a pretty consistent thing. You, you would be surprised at how many oh, people, no, 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 that's, that's a big thing. Uh, yeah. Thought I was alone. No, no, for sure. That's, that's a really big thing. Um, one of the things that I point out to people that always surprises them here, I'm going to do another visual example. Oh, oh yes. I love when we get to the inside information. <laughs> you can describe to your viewers what you're seeing. This will look instantly familiar to you guys. That's the SNES That's... controller. And it works oh. with the Switch. Donkey Kong Country. Yeah. This works with my Nintendo Switch. Uh and there's a lot of games that are simple enough um, that have come out like this year that I could play 100% start to finish with that Super Nintendo controller and have a great experience. Uh, and so I think there's not enough of kind of like that knowledge for people that aren't deep into it of like, oh, wait a minute there are games that I could play with a super Nintendo controller that works on my Nintendo switch that aren't daunting or too complex for me to understand. Like I could literally bring up a game right now called iconoclasts where the developer himself said he, he built it with the super Nintendo controller in mind, you know, and that game came out, you know, it's, it's a few years old now, I believe, but it came out semi recently. Right. And to, to imagine that there is a developer past 1997 who is making a, a video game with the Super Nintendo controller in mind as a concession, like as, you know, one of his development pillars, I think is a hugely fascinating thing in and of itself. Um, but to answer the question about like story beats and all that stuff, that answer comes in like, well, what kind of a game are you making? Like for us, 
you know, we just put out, um, or we're about to put out a game called Anton Ball Deluxe on Switch. And the simplest way that I describe it to people is it's breakout turned sideways meets a, you know action platformer. So you have a character and he's hitting balls towards a wall and you're breaking those bricks one at a time. And the thing that makes it kind of cool and is a twist on it is instead of a paddle, you're controlling a character that has to jump from platform to platform, like a, a Mario game or something like that, you know, with very similar like mechanics and physics. And it's just enough of a twist on something that's really simple that I feel like it's really easy for people to pick that up and be like, I know how to play this within one level. I get what I'm doing. I'm hitting the ball at the bricks I'm breaking the bricks. I've got to make sure it doesn't go out the other side. And I have a character that I'm controlling and the controls are, are basically like two buttons, you know, you jump around, you get a power up and then you, you press the, the action button. Like, I think there's one power up that drops and you get a gun and you can shoot the bricks. And so you get that power up and you mash that action button and you just shoot, 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 shoot. But really all you have to learn is jumping and movement and hitting, hitting the ball, like towards the wall on the other side of that, we have a game called Betrayer, Curse of the Spine, that's like an exploration-based uh, Metroidvania sort of a game where you're going around this huge environment and finding, you know, different items and there's crafting and there's all. And that was a much different process. That wasn't like, oh, let's just have this idea and help them build this game. That, you know, for the creator there, that was like, there's a story and there's a world that has to be created and there's characters and there's a lore behind all that stuff. And so those things had to be fleshed out before he even started work like on the game yeah. because he had to have some sort of sense of progression of like what he's building and why. And, and like, and so there's a much greater sense of cohesiveness that goes into building something like that. And then imagine scale that up to like a studio like Bethesda right? Where they're making, you know, a game like Fallout. Um, you know, I've been told that the scripts for games like that are huge monstrosities, like just reams upon reams of paper, because there's just that much dialogue and that much choice and that much flexibility and all the things that you can do. And for sure, they are building that stuff like with the story from the ground up like congruently with the technology and the graphical assets that have to go in line with that. And I think if either of those things kind of fall out of step with each other, you'll notice it in the game where it's like, why is the game talking about going to this place in this quest, but there's no area like that designed, or there's no item like that that's in the world. So the, a lot of that stuff really has to be thought through or else it'll come through like in the game world. Like if a character in a quest mentions some specific item and then it never shows up, yeah. you can tell like maybe the writing team wasn't in sync with the design team or, you know, what, whatever those things are. So I think, yeah, the more complex a game gets, the more that stuff is present, like from the ground up. That's dizzying. Yeah. And then again, yeah, yeah, yeah. Think about the exponential thing of like a game like an an rpg where you have multiple dialogue choices and all of those represent like a different you know possible path of consequence or action like yeah. it becomes a lot really fast yeah uh, it's 
and trying to not only do that, but like do that collaboratively, because essentially, you know, if you're writing a story, or whatever, it's just you. Um, but if you've got an entire different team of people who maybe sort of um, don't communicate in the same way, right? Like maybe the coding, maybe the coding nerds and the narrative people don't necessarily, or the narrative nerds as well, necessarily jive or whatever. And that kind of that brings me back to sort of something that you said earlier about how, believe it or not, there are actually controllers out there that are very easy for people to use. Um, and that there are a lot of people like me who are turned off by like really complex controllers and also really complex games. I'm like, yeah. I'm a, like, I had two games at the same time when I was like 12. One of them was Duke Nukem 3D and one of them was Mist. I played one of those games one time. I played one of those games a fucking bunch of times. I'm the Duke Nukem 3D guy. I'm not the Mist guy. Like right. I don't, it's too much. It's too much for me. Do you for sort of as a in your position with your company, do you feel like or or maybe in the industry at large, do you feel like there needs to be more sort of emissary work done like uh, between the gaming community, the gaming industry, and then other people who like me are just sort of not interested because of one reason or another who aren't aware of different developments that have been made? Like, do you feel like being in that buffer zone is an important place to be, that there's a lot of work to be done there? Yeah, I think the word gamer is almost a slur, right? Like it's almost an insult because uh, gamers on the internet have uh, a somewhat deserved, you know, socially maligned reputation. Um, but I also try to remind people that I think at the core, everybody is, is a video game player. Uh, I don't like to use the word gamer because to me that implies like someone who was, you know, I, I don't play games like this anymore. My gaming habit used to be pretty extreme though. And like at my peak, you know, I'd be sitting here with like energy drink cans or but now it's like the shake you get the powder and you shake it up and you just pound in the, the g fuel uh <laughs> and i would be up till three four in the morning dude like playing starcraft and heroes of the storm and all of that shit man and i, I would i would go hard you know I'd, I'd pride myself be like i gotta get in diamond lee or whatever you know like i gotta get in platinum on this game because i'm i'm a real gamer i'm a pro uh, and there was a lot of like pride that I took from that, but I think from like the outside looking in, that's like intimidating. That's what people think when they hear the word gamer, they think of that person. Uh, and so I try to think of it now as like, everybody is a video game player at the heart. Like Zach has a game that I'm sure he absolutely loves and could talk to you about for hours. You know, maybe it's a Zelda game. Maybe it's Goldeneye. Maybe it's one of those things, but I'm sure Zach has that game. I'm sure you have that game. I'm sure everybody you could find like any random person and go, okay, so what's one video game that you like? And chances are, you know, most people will go, yeah, I'm not a gamer, but yeah. that one Donkey Kong does slap. You know, and you'll be like, oh, okay. They're like, I know where all the bananas are on that show. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> and I have met so many people like that who you would think are just like the most normal, like non-video game nerded out people, uh, you know, and you'd be surprised that like the the things that they fixated on, like, you know, Schuler said, I didn't play 
miss but one time, but I played Duke Nukem a thousand times. I'm sure you know exactly where that first, you know, explodable wall is in the Hollywood level to get the. I still hear his voice in my head. I'm telling you, man. So a lot of those things become muscle memory. And it's like, you wouldn't think of that, though, as like the association of like, I'm a gamer now. But it's like, no, but you're a video game player. And if you found more experiences that were similar to that, you would be like, oh, okay. There's a world out here for me. There's stuff that still caters to like my experiences. One of the coolest things I like to mention specifically for people who really like Duke Nukem 3D, there was a game that came out uh, called Ion Fury about a year or two ago, maybe three years ago. And it is built on the same technology as Duke Nukem 3D, but it came out in like 2018, 2019. And so it looks like Duke Nukem 3D, but they're doing stuff with this engine that's like from 1997 that's super, super cool. So if you were a person who played Duke Nukem 3D and you want to play a Duke Nukem 3D ass game, play Ion Fury. This this girl who's the main character, Shelly is the main character's name, and she talks a bunch of shit just like Duke Nukem. She has all these sick one-liners. You have all these super cool guns. But I don't think most people would know that that experience is there for them without kind of having to dig into it. And a lot of that just comes with... Like I said, visibility, uh, budgets for marketing, all that stuff. Because like, that's not going to get as much visibility as like EA's new, you know, what Battlefield or Activision's Call of Duty or, you know, all these like marquee franchises is what we would call them, right? So you would yeah. you would have to dig, and I think from the gaming community's point of view. <sighs> from gamers, we tend to, I don't want to say we, because I've kind of backed off on this in the last few years, but gamers have a tendency to ostracize people who play simple things, right? You know, the, oh, you ju- all, all you like is cute McPlatforming. Oh, you're not a true gamer. You don't, all you like is this game. Oh, well, you're not, you, you're, you don't play believe, true games. What, believe it or not, I, I'm, I'm familiar with yeah, that same ideology. If you were looking at my background. Okay. <laughs> what, I, I, I get it. What's the gaming equivalent of, I don't like metal, but I like Metallica. Oh, okay. Uh, like what game is super lame to play? Like if I say I only like Resident Evil and Mortal Kombat, is that like, yeah, you don't know what you're talking no, about? No, no, no. I think those are still like considered cool games, right? Oh, yeah. Um. I think if you were a person who, what were like some of the most maligned? I think like in a way like Fortnite is maligned probably because it's popular. But if you're like an older gamer and you were to say to your friends, yo, you guys want to play Fortnite? They'd be like, oh, <laughs> you baby. Yeah. You big yeah. baby. <laughs> want to play your baby games? We're on Apex Legends over here with the big boys. Gotcha. Uh, you know, so I think, yeah, there's there's some of that like cool guy syndrome that goes into that but i mean like fuck but just play what you want like who cares you know okay one of my favorite games ever of uh, the last couple years is uh, this game called house flipper and all you do is like renovate houses and then like sell them 
it's like this is my favorite thing you know, i'm just like painting and like let me tell you the the closest that i've come to like downloading a game and starting to play a game and take it seriously in the last 15 years is goat simulator oh yeah there you i go. was like somebody was like all you do all right you're a goat and you just go around and you do goat shit and yeah. sometimes you get into funny situations and like i was like that I would do that. I would play. I would play Goat Simulator. They like I don't know so much money off of that game, dude. I, I'm sure they did, but they like did. My, I have I have friends who are like, oh, you like Tomb Mold? You should fucking you should play Bloodborne or something like that. And I'm like, I that's I, these two things don't connect for me. Like I, it's too much work. It's too much lore. There's just so much going on, man. I can't I can't pull it off. But like this this is an incredibly enlightening conversation and i i think awesome. that we can have you back on a second time and even a third time easily like i appreciate it the hour is almost up and we haven't even fucking talked about riffs yet uh -oh. um, but i do i i think that i think that the position that you occupy where you have so much familiarity with your field but at the same time, you're able to talk informatively and persuasively about it with people who are not a part of that world is an incredibly important skill that, that I mean, that's very much a part of what I do research-wise. Mm. Um, and so like seeing that sort of in other contexts and specifically in like leisure contexts, right? Like I, my, my, my stuff focuses on it in like health and medicine. Um, but seeing, you know, gaming, I think, is very much a part of wellness for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and so to be able to sort of argue the merits of that in a way that's persuasive without necessarily giving into some of the more, like you said, stereotypes that people associate with gamers or whatever, that people associate really with diehard fans of anything. I mean, you're going to get it with gamers. You're going to get it with death metal. You're going to get it with sports. There's always some point where like fandom becomes toxic, right? And unfortunately, that's what people tend to remember the most because that's what makes the most like fucking traumatic impact on people who aren't really interested in it. And therefore, mm. what gets the most visibility. But I do think that having people who are able to talk about this shit, like I said, informatively and persuasively and empathetically um, with other people sort of outside their th that world is 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 super important man and uh, i would i would love to hear i would love to hear more about that i would love to talk to you more in the future that's very flattering thank you very much uh i think that to, to hone in on something specific that you said that really struck a chord with me um when you take yourself way too seriously on that on the super extreme of anything it stops being fun um yeah. like i think you know this from my twitter presence i routinely uh make fun of myself in in ways that i don't know that everybody catches you know i i tweet stuff like who would listen to tech death what a bunch of losers yeah. uh <laughs> you know it's just just shit like that like today i i you know did this troll tutor like gate creeper more like gate sleeper am i right guys i own gate creeper records you know like I uh, just I just think it's funny to poke fun at things that you like every now and again, and it doesn't always have to be super serious. You know, I'm the, I'm a person who has, you know, within destruction and psychroptic flags up in my office, but like I was literally listening to Spirit Box right before I hopped on this call, you know, and just enjoying it for what it was, just having fun. And it doesn't always have to be the most serious experience. The same thing with video games. Like I can play something like Anton Ball 
but I could also sit here and talk to you for way longer than is healthy about all the aspects of the lore of like the Elder Scrolls series and be like, so did you know that the Sigic Order was formed when (laughs) 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 I'd be like, what or what is wrong with you, bro? Uh, So, you know, but I, I think at either end of that, the thing that makes that like palatable for me to interact with other human beings is if somebody goes, what is any of this? Like, why did you learn about any of this stuff about the Elder Scrolls or whatever? I would say, because I'm a giant dork. And I have way too much time, you know, like I wouldn't be like, because it's super important because like if you want to understand and enjoy the Elder Scrolls games, it's really critical for you to have like a background. And there are dudes in subreddits who are 100% dead ass serious like that. Oh, I, I've, I've met their equivalents when it comes to when it comes to music. Yep. You know I mean? like, yeah. And that's when I'm like, bro, that's not fun anymore. You just turn... Like, it turns yeah, into you, work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, exactly. You it's just turn this jumping in yeah, work. It's, yeah, it's hard to convince like a nineteen-year-old that maybe not taking, you know, black metal so seriously is is maybe a good idea to try and like, sure. you know what I mean? And mainly because I think you gain a different appreciation for something when you try and when you love it intensely, like you love video mm-hmm. games or like I love death metal but you still sort of allow yourself to interact with it more leisurely. I think yes. you get a different appreciation for it. Um, and like, that's something that I wish I had when I was fucking 19 years old, oh, totally. uh, looking down my nose at motherfuckers who didn't want to hear like, like the heaviest possible shit ever. But then again, you can't fucking tell a 19 year old anything. Like right. you got to let them figure that shit out on their own. Right. Right. We, again, yeah, so, you know, I, I'll leave you with with this thought on this because it's super brief. Oh, no. You're not this... gonna leave us with that. We gotta no, 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 no. I was I was just gonna say, like on that on that line of conversation, you know, I talk to Riley like every day. <laughs> this is like my best friend in the world at this point. Uh, and I shared this with you earlier, but all the time, you know, I'll like I'll I'll say things to him like, oh yeah, I was listening to a continuum the other day, and he's like, Oh yeah, I'll be like, yeah. It's pretty cool, but God, I just every time I listen to like the vocals, the vocals come on. It's just they're so <laughs> abrasive and terrible, and I just can't understand anything that guy's saying. So I just turned it off, you know, because I was making me like literally physically ill. And he's like, "Oh yeah, that's <laughs> that's understandable. That guy sucks." <laughs> very funny, motherfucker. <laughs> so, take it so seriously, though. yeah. Again, dude, like I. That's me talking to like the literal vocalist of that band and just being like, oh, yeah, this your singing makes me want to vomit because <laughs> I, I think, just think it's funny. You know, like if me and him can't can't laugh like about all this, it's yeah. What's the that's point? Healthy. I yeah. think it's healthy. Mm-hmm. So before we we have a major big question that I, I don't know how this is going to strike you, man, because I know you're a big tech deaf dude. We're going to get there in just one second. Um what do you have dropping soon? What just dropped and where can people find it? Next Tuesday, you can get on your Switch and look up Anton Ball Deluxe. I need to get a Switch, man. I think that that sounds it sounds cool. It sounds the cool. Switch is cool, man. I think it's good for us like old nerd sure that don't really know what we're doing, but we can like play. Down. Tell your sisters. Tell your sisters yeah, to buy to Anton Balls. I will, yeah. Tell <laughs> Anton Balls. Anton Ball, Anton Anton Ball. If you search Anton Ball, you'll find yeah. it. 
I'm yeah, gonna tell my, my sister to tell her kids it's gonna yeah. be and, and maybe who fuck it, who knows? Maybe I'll go out and buy a switch. We'll see what happens. Well, the tagline um, that we tried to use, but we got in trouble with Nintendo. Uh we used this when we were launching on Steam was play with your balls. Nice. Right. <laughs> uh but for Switch, we wanted that to be updated because the Switch is portable. You can take it anywhere. So we wanted it to be play with your balls in public. That's fantastic. Because now you can. You can play with your balls anywhere. Literally it. anywhere. If that doesn't sell it, I don't know what... Well, works. Nintendo oh, was not a fan. <laughs> They're like, you can't say that. You can't no. can't talk about your balls. Hopefully, hopefully uh, enough people are stoked on the balls and uh, you guys make a big splash and we will certainly be watching and we would do we absolutely got to have you back on here before you go. Absolutely. Steve Tom Sawyer. Zach has actually managed to talk more during this podcast than he has in many, many podcasts. (laughs) I have this bad problem with steamrolling him. I feel bad about it. He tells me not to, but I do. Zach has a question for you. And like I said, I don't necessarily know that much about your musical background, so if this is something that's kind of off the cuff, you no, don't no, no. know where you fall on it, just let's, pick something out of the air, but let's don't go. kid yourself. It's a very important question. I'm sure. Let's go. I'm ready. What is your favorite Black Sabbath album? Hmm. I'm bad with album names. Is... uh. The gears turning. He's going to be like, I you're like not in the heavy metal story. industry or in a band, so you can totally give a lame answer like we would for video games. And it would. No, what's the one with uh, paranoid on it? Paranoid. Yeah, paranoid. I thought it was just called paranoid. That, yeah, that's, I didn't want to speak out of step. Paranoid's pretty good. That makes sense. And then paranoid. there was, they're like second to last one. I forget what that one's called. Like, second to, huh? Second with, to last one, like with Ozzy. Yeah. Technical ecstasy. Yeah, that one's pretty good too. I also really liked some of uh, Ozzy's solo albums. He did one in like 2002 or three or somewhere around there, I want to say. to Earth. Yeah. yeah that actually say, has a couple of songs on it that slap. Yeah, that was, I remember getting really stoked about it because like Zach yeah. Wilde was back in the band. Yeah, and I yeah, was like, yeah. all right, this is like some shit that I can groove to. And it was oh, good, man. And it sounded a lot more like Sabbath than anything Ozzy had done before. It was I'm like, telling you, that Down to Earth album is actually pretty good, dude. It was oh, tight. Yeah, it, was, it was overshadowed by the Osborne's TV show, but there was some good shit on there. It, yeah, both of those things are 100% true. I don't think that album got like enough cred man i listened to it and i just remember being like i'm surprised at like how legitimately good this is on its own terms it was like Uh, it was it was a heavy record it was a catchy record and then he has that like really good ballad on there too dreamer i think it's called is it remember i'd have to go back and check man it's been so long since i've heard it is it yeah zach knows see he's like no it's definitely bro it's dreamer yeah yeah Yeah, that sounds good dude that's a fantastic answer to the black sabbath question by the way oh thank you appreciate it (laughs) yeah no dreamer is like unironically a really good aussie song that could have in another world been like a sabbath b-side like if they were all happy and just chilling you know <laughs> i'm gonna listen to that shit right now yeah down to earth's actually really good i think oh, I might there's your homework everybody in podcast world go listen to down to earth right now yeah and my 
What's your video game called again? I'm sorry, balls. Anton Ball Deluxe. Anton Balls. Go play with your balls in public with Anton Balls on the Nintendo Switch, fuckers. That's right. You Thank go. you so much, man. Thank we look forward for to having, having you back. Me, I'm We're glad to meet you. Back for sure. Yes. Oh yeah, and I'll bring Riley with me. Uh, Please. Next time. Yeah. That would be interesting. We'll just let you guys talk. Yeah. He was supposed to. I was actually going to surprise you and be like, I think I could get him next Tuesday. So, so next time I come back, I'm I'm dragging Riley along. It'll be fun. I look yes. forward to it. Awesome. Tell him I love his shit. I will tell him something. Yeah, tell him. Yeah. Tell him I said it doesn't make me want to kill myself, but it's not much above that. I feel like yeah. that sounds like something that you could say that would come off organic. Come Perfect. Off. Yep. And yeah. he'd be like, oh, "Okay, yeah, that sounds about right." Thank you so much, man. You rule. We got to get you back on here. Yeah, sometime. Thanks, thanks, thanks for again, having man. Me, guys. Thanks, dude. See you, dudes. Bye, Peace. Man. Holy shit! What a fucking good dude, man. <laughs> that, was, that was really sick, dude. That yeah. dude was fucking odd. Like, seriously, like, I love yeah. when we're able to get people on here who, like, know shit that we, you know, it's cool to, like, geek out about the shit we all love, but, like, to come on here and get schooled and get schooled by somebody who's, like, super passionate about that shit, but also really open about it, like, and welcoming about it, then that's yeah. fucking awesome. Getting schooled and, like, making us still feel cool was awesome. You know what I mean? Like, still make us feel like we didn't know what we were talking about, even though we don't. The That's very you. skilled gentleman. We've just yeah. been in the presence of greatness. Yes, we have. And it was your fault. So thank you very much for that, Shorter. Thanks, brother. I love you, man. I love you too. We're going to try and reschedule today's original one for next week. I am certainly glad that things worked out this way. That was a fucking blast. I feel good. I feel energized. I might even go play Nintendo Switch. I might even go listen to that Aussie record and buy a Nintendo Switch. Boom. All right, homie. Everybody, Talk soon. thank you. Peace. Bye, bud.